0: swap thing, kind of like a wife swap, and we're going to get somebody else. Here's the good news. CT is coming back, and and I'm going to go back to my campus uh, next week, and uh, you're going to continue to be blessed and encouraged by him. And I also just want to let you know how grateful I am for Lauren Frith. Uh, Lauren has been just an ally and a a co-laborer, a colleague uh, in ministry with me here at Woodside. Yeah, thank the Lord for Lauren. Um, God's just doing some great things in her life and through her as, a, as one who has led life groups and helped us as a campus uh, support and grow in life groups. She's just been a real blessing to me. And so I hope you encourage all your staff and your elders and your team here because uh, they are a gift from God for you to grow and to flourish in Christ. And they are a blessing not only to this church, but to uh, the whole church as well. And so be encouraged uh, by them as well. Well, um, let's do this. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 77 this morning. That's a text. I want to read this text, and then I'll dive into the sermon um, uh, together. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Psalm chapter 77. Uh, I'd like to ask you to stand. Uh, I want us to stand before the Lord as we hear His voice and His Word. And let me read this for us, and then we'll pray, okay? Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago, and I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me, remember, let me meditate in my heart. Then my seer, spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has His steadfast love forever ceased? Are His promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. Well, God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you this morning that we can be in your presence together, that we can be here, hearing your voice. And so I would pray that that we today, as we hear your voice, would not harden our hearts, but Lord, that, that you would open our hearts, that your spirit would work now and draw us closer to yourself And allow us, equip us, Lord, strengthen us to know what to do with these anxious hearts. Give us grace, Lord, this morning that we might see Jesus, that we might know him and draw near to him and receive your grace. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart right now be acceptable in your sight because you are my rock and my redeemer. And bless us today. Make us new people by your grace. We ask your spirit to speak now because we are listening. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I have the the challenge this morning of concluding this series. We've been uh, putting out there to you all over the several months ago some questions. We said, you know, what questions do you have? What do you want to hear from, from your church and from the leadership of your church? What are the big questions you want answered in your life? And so we put out this online survey. Many of you, I believe, responded and asked, and we as campus pastors got a list of all of these questions that we were supposed to answer. Somebody asked this morning, did I draw the short draw? Did I, I, was I the last one to pick? And somehow or another, I got to deal with the question, is anxiety or being anxious a sin? Well, I want to tell you, I didn't draw the short straw. I wanted to answer this question mainly because I can be an anxious person. This hits home for me and my family and my life. And so I thought I need to understand how is God at work and what is he doing so that I can address my anxious heart and we can figure this out together. So I'm gonna try and answer this question, is anxiety or being anxious a sin? But I wanna tell you, it's a minefield to walk through this question. You probably feel it already. I am anxious answering this question before you uh, today. And I've tried to do, this is the sixth time I've preached this message, so you're gonna get a good one. I've worked out all the kinks, I know where this thing goes, we're gonna get there well. But but here's where the tension rises for me about answering this question. First of all, on one hand, we should say yes. The Bible is clear and tells us explicitly, do not be anxious. Jesus himself said it. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus just absolutely clearly says, do not be anxious. And I'm, I want to be with King Jesus on this. And so, yes, I say, okay, Jesus says anxiety, being anxious, there's a sin. It's something that we are commanded or forbidden from doing or, or being. But Scripture is also real. We're real. I mean, aren't we as human beings troubled by many things? Don't, don't we become anxious and bothered by the circumstances of our lives? Aren't there pressures and worries and concerns that, that just normal human emotion? Normal human reaction brings about within us a sense of anxiety or worry. I mean, maybe you have that mentality or that mindset of, like, Christianity should be emotionless, that we should just be stoic, flat, not given to great highs or deep lows, but we should just kind of even keel, placidly work through life. Maybe you're probably a Vulcan from Star Trek, if I could just say it that way, right? Like, all logic, all thinking, no feeling. But that, I think, betrays how the Scripture talks about our humanity. That even betrays a whole genre of Scripture that we find here in the Psalms. It betrays Jesus Himself. Consider Jesus the night before He was crucified in His own life. Luke describes Jesus in these words. He says Jesus was being in agony. And then you take Jesus' words for Himself at face value. Jesus said to His disciples in John 12, 27, My soul, is troubled. The Greek word there for troubled that Jesus uses, one lexicon defines it this way, with the special meaning of inner agitation, emotion, and distress. Those words sound like anxiety to me. It seems like Jesus was, as he said, deeply troubled. Not only do we have Jesus, who was without sin and yet deeply troubled, anxious, agitated, full of emotion, we have The Apostle Paul. And and he spoke in 2 Corinthians of, of daily pressure that he had on his life. And I'm going to quote him so you hear from his words: the daily pressure and anxiety for all the churches that he carried. Now, if we're commanded not to be anxious, and yet Paul can carry anxiety for all the churches, how can we really say, yes, anxiety is a sin, or no, anxiety is not a sin? It seems to me that we need some more nuance. Jesus felt real things and yet was without sin. He had a troubled heart. He had burdens. He had concern over his life. So that's frankly why I'm anxious about answering this question. How do we go? I mean, it's a minefield. We're walking on a tight rope here about this. Maybe the way I'll do it is this. The answer to this question, it seems to me, is maybe. Or perhaps. Possibly. And I know that's not going to be a satisfying answer to many of you, but it's the truth. And I think that the way we navigate through this is to think about what we're anxious about and really more deeply, what do we do when anxiety comes our way? What do you do with your anxious heart? So think about that. What are you anxious about? Are they the right priorities? Are they the right things? Are you concerned for deeply, Does, do you lay awake at night thinking about the big things that you could be and should be thinking about? Or do troubles and, and fears and burdens creep into your heart and life that maybe are out of your control? Maybe you, you don't have much influence or impact on, and, and so you rightly shouldn't be anxious about that. But again, more, more pressing is the deeper question of what do we do with our anxiety? Because we all have that. We lay awake at night, I'm troubled. I was anxious driving here this morning. What do I do with that anxiety? Where do I go with it? So in this message, I want to deal with what we do with our anxiety. And here's the big idea that I want to just lay out for you, the truth that I think will help us reorient ourselves to the Lord and to our anxiety. It's this, that rightly reflecting on God will reorder our anxieties as you and I as men and women of God, as we look to Him, as we see Him for who He is, as we acknowledge what He has done in our lives and in history past, as we look and reflect on God, I believe that that will be a remedy and an antidote to help order our anxieties and give us something and someone to take them to. So that's what the premise that I want to walk off of this morning. Now, we're here in Psalm 77, and the Psalms, as I mentioned, are are loaded language for us to be able to learn how to pray. I love the Psalms because they are full of highs and they are full of lows. They are filled with emotions and cares, and they are here for us. This is Israel's prayer book, so it's our prayer book as Christians as well. This is a way and a place for us to learn how to take our cares to the Lord. This is language for us to take to God and say, God, here's what's going on in my heart and life. And so here's where we are in Psalm 77, to take our cares to the Lord. And and we don't know much about the person who wrote this psalm. We don't know really anything about the context or the situation in which they were under writing this psalm. That's helpful for us because it just applies. If you're an anxious, troubled person today, this psalm is for you. In fact, I would call it a psalm of an earnest prayer coming from a troubled heart shows us how to rightly reflect on God so that our anxieties and our anxious heart will be reordered. So here's the question that I want to answer. How should I address my anxious heart? What should I do when situations and circumstances surround my life that trouble me? How should I take these burdens and these cares that keep me awake at night, how should I take them to the Lord? And I want to give us three steps in that this morning, what to do with our anxiety. We're going to take three steps in dealing with them, but I want to say one more thing about anxiety before I take us through this psalm. Friends, there are, there are times when anxiety and depression and panic attacks and the like should be clinically addressed. And I want you to hear me clearly on this. There is no shame There is no sin in using resources, such as physicians and counselors or therapists, to help us rightly address the physiological responses our bodies can have to these anxious things. So if you have panic attacks, if you have anxiety, if you're uh, dealing with depression in some way or another, it is right and good, and I think helpful for you, to see a physician and a doctor. Perhaps it's good for you to see a counselor and to work through those things. There is no sin or no shame in doing that. God in His grace, His common grace to all humanity, has given us these vocations and these skills to help us. So utilize them. But how do we address our own hearts? Okay, this is where I want to lay in as a a soul care physician, if you will and help us deal with our anxious hearts. And these are the three steps that I think this psalm helps us take in order to deal with and have our souls rightly reoriented to the Lord and to our anxiety. Okay, so here's number, step number 1. Here's where we we'll start where the psalmist starts. And that is to acknowledge our anxiety to the Lord. Right out of the gate, you and I in addressing our anxious hearts need to acknowledge that we are anxious to God. Okay, so this is what the psalmist does in, one, in verses 1 through 4. He says, I cry aloud to God. Right, who's he taking this anxiety to? To God. Taking it right to heaven, right to the throne room of God himself, right to the Lord. He says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out. He's just saying, like, here it is. I'm anxious. I'm troubled. The things of my life right now are deep. They concern me. I'm laying awake at night, and I'm taking this to God. And notice how he talks about doing this. It's, it's not just quiet, although that might be the way that you process anxiety. It's not just an internal churn, but he is vocalizing this loudly to God. I mean, he's like, I am yelling at God these things. I am shouting to him, God, this hurts. I'm burdened. This is hard. What's going on? And he has hope here. He knows that God will hear him. He says, just as I express these things to the Lord, there he is listening. He hears me. And so he says, in the day of my trouble and in the night, I am seeking him. I am crying out to him. Now, I love his candor and his honesty here because it, a- it allows you and I to do the same thing. He's just this frank so that you and I can be like, oh, okay. Well, the psalmist can do it. Like, if he can yell out to God about these things, certainly I can. There I can go. N- notice how, how he's just vocalizing and sharing this. He says, I cry aloud to God, or verse 2, my hand is stretched out without wearying. To do that, for the Israelites, that was a posture of prayer. Much like you and I would kneel in prayer and fall down before the Lord, for them, the posture of prayer was lift your hand up to heaven, raise it up, reach up to God, because he's going to reach down and care for you. And so he says, at night, I'm laying on my bed, and my hand is just up. God, do you see me? Do you know my pain? Do you know the agony? Here I am. Answer me. Hear my prayer. Furthermore, he expresses the anxiety of his heart by saying, My soul refuses to be comforted. I'm like, There's not much touching the anxiety that's here, the feeling. Like, I just can't shake it. He says, I moan in verse three. My spirit faints. You feel the rock on him, you feel the burden. Furthermore, in verse four, he's like, God, it's like you hold my eyelids open. I can't sleep because of these things. I'm so troubled. I can't speak. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I sure have. There's just something happening in my life or maybe in your life, and you're just like, ah, it's so painful, so big. You're so anxious that you're just like, God, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know where to take this. There are things that trouble our souls so deeply that we feel this kind of experience and hear me well, that's valid. It's valid to feel this. It's valid that this is happening in your heart. It's okay. It's right. I love this. There's no rebuke from God back to the psalmist. You know, you don't get to verse five and God says, what? God's not like, hey, kiddo, like, get your stuff together. What is wrong with you? Quit crying and just deal with it. Now here's here's the point I'm trying to get you to see here. God is great enough and he is kind enough to receive our expressive emotional need. He's not bothered or put off at all by you saying, God, it's like you got my eyelids pinched wide open. What is that? The psalmist is saying, this is exactly how I feel right now. And God, I'm spent. And God is not repulsed by that kind of expression. He's not not turned away from you feeling and expressing that to Him. Uh, Last summer, uh, our family was on sabbatical from the church. It was a deep gift to us. And part of our sabbatical time was an opportunity to spend in vacation on the uh, big island of Hawaii. Had a great time. It was wonderful there. But on the first day, we were there and Ethan and I got into some trouble on the ocean. We had been uh, given some paddle boards, and we were kind of paddle boarding around in this bay area, and what we didn't recognize is that A, we were inexperienced in that, and then B, there's these winds that move on the big island pretty significantly, and so I'm in the paddle boat, Ethan's there with me, and we notice like the wind is beginning to push us out into the open sea, and the ocean's getting choppy. We're not knowing how to do this well. We're kind of going in circles, and we're not able to get back to the beach itself, And, and in all of that, we begin to get really troubled. Like, what's going to happen? Ethan gets on my paddleboard. We're paddleboarding in, and then this big wave comes and just knocks us off into the ocean. No life jackets. Like, it's a tremendous moment. I grab Ethan, throw him up onto the paddleboard that I'm on, get up on myself, and Ethan then begins to to cry out and just yell out, Dad, I'm going to die in Hawaii. I'm like, son, could be worse, right? Could be Kansas. (laughs) Now, while I needed Ethan in that moment to completely avoid going into hysterics, I didn't find his anxiousness and his anguish at all to be repulsive. I wasn't turned off by Ethan shouting that out. In fact, it was because he was so concerned and because he was so desperately in need that that I was inclined more and more to love and to care for him. His anxiety and expressing it and acknowledging it to me provided me an opportunity to care for his heart and to address his need. We lived, by the way, got back to the beach. But here's the point. And it's a view of God for us. The presupposition about God that I'm coming to in this step, this first step, is that God is good and he is the best and most caring, gracious Heavenly Father and he is the best one to take our anxiety too. He's not sitting up in heaven saying, my children better keep a stiff upper lip. I don't want to see any emotion. I don't want to know the circumstances of their life. He's saying, come to me with your anxiety. Acknowledge it. He's the only one competent enough to handle our disarrayed and anxious hearts. In fact, it's when we hit a command from Jesus like, do not be anxious. He says that as an invitation to us, inviting us to take our anxiety to him. And because we are rescued in Jesus Christ, because we are beloved children, because of Jesus and who He is and what He has done for us, we are in fact actually commanded to cast all our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. The invitation is to go to Him with our anxiousness and pain and worry because of His love and care for you and for me. So how do I address our anxious hearts? Step one is to acknowledge your anxiety to the Lord. Take it right to Him, He's competent, he's ready, he's eager to hear his children cry out to him. Step two pushes us deeper, though. Step two involves some self-talk. It involves us kind of looking internally and really looking up to God. But We need to begin to do this, and that's to ask questions about God's nature. This is what the psalmist says in verses 5 through 9. He says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart then my spirit made a diligent search. Now, here's what the psalmist does. He takes a deep dive on God for the sake of his heart. He looks back and he says, I need to remember who God is, and I need to remember what God has done. That's what he's doing in verses 5 and 6, considering the days of old, the years long ago, saying, let me remember my song, the good times in the past. Let me meditate on my heart. Let my spirit make a diligent search. Now, in this, he's just, think of the verbs here. I consider. I'm going to ponder and think about this for a little bit. I'm going to roll over in my mind what truth is. He says, I remembered. So he's like, I'm drawing in what has happened in the past, what's gone on in my life. I'm remembering certain truths, certain facts about God. And he says, I meditate. Now, the word meditate doesn't mean to, like, empty your mind. As in Eastern religion, it means to fill up your mind with truth remind yourself, chew over, ponder deep truth, truth of Scripture. Now, each one of these verbs invites us into a shape of prayer that deals with our interior world and soul. They call us to a reflective pondering of God and His works. So much so, verse 6, it summarizes it this way. He says, my spirit made a diligent search. And to do this search, He begins to ask questions. That's what verses 7 through 9 catalog. It's, here's the big questions I'm asking about God in the world so that I can steady my anxious heart. So he's asking these questions of God in his nature. Now, I don't perceive the psalmist to be a cynical person here who's asking questions of God, looking down in judgment on him, or trying to put God on the witness stand in order to cross-examine him and find fault. The psalmist is saying, I have to go back and remember when things were good, to remember truth in steadier times, to remember by theology, if you will, so that I can find footing here and now in my anxious moment. I need to remember what is true so that today I can have that answered with the goodness of God. Now let me take you to these questions here because they really boil down to, they're questions that we should ask. They really boil down to considering God's goodness and covenant love. Here's how I pra- paraphrase them He asked in verse 7 Is God going to hold me at arm's length forever? I mean, that circumstance that he was under, it felt like God had like pushed him away, pushed him just like, no, I don't want to touch that guy. I don't want to deal with his situation. And the psalmist is saying, is that, is that God's nature towards me, just stiff arms me? Or in verse 8, is God one who abandons his promised love and goodness towards us? Does God give up on us? Or in verse 9, is God tired and done with being gracious and compassionate? Has He forgotten it? Does He not know how to be gracious and compassionate? I think these are good questions for us to ask. And they're all answered, no. God is not the one who holds us at arm's length. God's steadfast love has not stopped. It has not ceased. His promises are not over. God has not forgotten to be gracious. It's His very nature. It's His very character. He isn't done with His love towards His people. Now, this is what I call a biblical Rick Roll. And it's something you and I need to do. Do you guys know what a Rick Roll is? No? Wow. So, you guys are so advanced from my campus. We're back in the 80s. I don't know. Here's what a Rick Roll was. You ever get an email or a text message from somebody with a link in it, and it promises something really, really great. Something like, here's how you can earn a million dollars just by sleeping. And you're like, wow, that's too good to be true, but it's really enticing, and I think I'm going to go for it. So you click the link, and the next thing you know, you're not on some webpage talking to you about how to earn a million dollars by sleeping. You're there on YouTube, and Rick Ansley is singing, never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to turn around and forget you, right? Do you know that? That's the Rick Roll, okay? I love them because it's like, oh, I'm having a bad day, and somebody sends that to me, and I'm like, ah, that guy got me. You know, here's the biblical Rick Roll. God is not going to let us down. He's not going to forget us. He's not removed his love for us. He cares for us. And that's what we need to do and remind ourselves in our hearts of who God is and his nature. Much of our anxiety is the result of not slowing down enough to perceive reality with God in it. And so we need to take up a practice here. If we're going to ask questions about God's nature, we actually need to pull the e-brake in our life, slow down, and give ourselves time to ask these questions. I think it's the practice of spiritual meditation and consideration, or frankly, remembering. I think it's necessary for us as believers to slow down and to identify who God is. Tim Keller wrote about this, and he said, meditate, to meditate is to ask oneself questions about the truth, such as what difference does this make? Am I taking this seriously? If I forget this, how will it affect me? Have I forgotten it? Am I living in light of this? We just need to ask ourselves in order to remember, especially when we're anxious, we need to ask ourselves these questions about who God is. And that's where we get the Bible, we get the Scriptures, and let this Word of God inform our minds, inform our hearts about God's character and nature, His unending love, His abundant compassion. So you need to spend time in regular slowness and reflection. Take 30 minutes a day. Just pause your life, put the phone away, get undistracted, get the Bible, and ask, what does the Bible say about who God is? What is His character and His nature? Express your anxiety to Him. Pray. Take a day a week, a Sabbath day, a Sunday, the Lord's day, and let today be the day where you're just pondering over and remembering and drawing to your heart and mind the character and love of God. Maybe you need a friend to help you with that. Get a a Christian friend or a spiritual director who can help you guide you in asking these questions because you're forgetting them. You're struggling with them. I have a spiritual director. His name is Rusty. I meet with Rusty once a month on Zoom. And Rusty really just prays with me. He's, he's not the counselor that gives me directive uh, insight or says, you know, you should do this or try that. He's just the guy that says, hey, Jeremy, what's going on? And I say, here's where I'm anxious. And he says, well, let's talk to God about that. Oh, Okay. And so we just go and we pray. And he asked me questions, do you remember this about God? Or what, what does the Bible say about God's nature in this? And we just spent an hour praying really together. He asked directive questions that helped me get there. But, but he's a spiritual director in that light to help me remember truth and to know the nature of God. We need to deep dive in our hearts on who God is, on what He has done, so that we will find and have the stability of His nature to address our anxious hearts. So if we're going to address our anxious hearts, step one is to acknowledge our anxiety to the Lord. Step two is to ask questions about God's nature, but then there's a third step for us, and that is to appeal to God's character, to appeal to God's character. Here's the step, the final step, where we put our feet on the ground, so to speak. We plant ourselves on truth and reality. Now look with me at what the psalmist says in verse 10. He's, he's so full of anxiety, he's expressing it to the Lord, he's, he's trying to remember what is true, he's asking good questions, and then he comes to verse 10 and he says this, he says, then I said, so there's this pivot, this movement in his life and in his heart. Uh, uh, the way I think about it is like in the first nine verses, he's just kind of laying on his bed in agony and pain, and then truth begins to fill his heart and his mind, and like he pops up in verse 10, he's like, I got it, here it is, this is what I'm going to stand on. I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. That's an interesting expression. I don't think I've ever heard a Christian say, I'm going to appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High. That's some interesting language. What do you mean by that? When we think about the years of the right hand of the Most High, first of all, the years, like, he's looking back. He's, He's looking into the past. God doesn't have years, he is eternal and infinite in every way. But he's looking at God's work in human life, in human history, our years, as it were. And he's saying, Look back. I'm looking back at God's track record. What is his track record like? How well is he doing? You know, some say that past performance indicates future uh, performance. Here, let's take that to God, okay? How has God performed in the past so that we know what he's going to do in the future? That's his years. And then he says, to the right hand of the most high. Well, this is a Hebrew expression, the right hand of the most high. It gives us a sense of God's strong, mighty arm for, positively, for his people, And so when you read in the Old Testament and you see that phrase, the right hand of the most high, there's God in power, in strength, working on behalf of his children, loving them and showing him his power and grace. He says, that's what I'm going to look back on in the past to help me orient my present and the future. This is who God is. This is what he's done. This is what I'm going to stand on in my life. To do this, reflection and meditation, he uses these phrases in verse 11 and 12, I will remember the deeds of the Lord, I will remember your wonders of old, I will ponder all your work, meditate on your mighty deeds. He's just doing that reflective, meditative on God's history. And This is important for us. Where do we find God's history? Where do we find his years? In the scriptures. Do you want to know God's track record for his children, for his people? Just start in Genesis 1 and keep going. It's right there. He's proven himself in every way, and as we sang this morning, he's undefeated. He hasn't lost a game yet. Here's God in his perfection, and so he's just saying, I've got to go back to the Bible and remember what God has done, his wonders, his work, his mighty deeds. I've got to remember who God is, verse 13. Your way, O God, your paths, they are holy. What God is great like ours. We've got the best one that there is. He's reflecting on the wonderful works of God and remembering, as one theologian put it, God and God alone is humanity's highest good. So this is the event he reflects on. And this is where we get a little insider baseball, if you will, on the Psalmist heart. He goes back and he says, what's the track record of God? And he goes back to the Exodus event. That was the pinnacle event for the Israelites remembering their history. You may remember, I hope, the Exodus event the Israelites had been in bondage for 400 years in slavery under the domineering power of the Egyptians and the pharaohs. Forced labor, everything horrible, genocide among them. And and here it is, they cry out to God in their despair and in their weakness. They cry out to Him. And God answered, Uh, He he just cut down one after another through 10 plagues the gods of Egypt, bringing them to their knees with the final plague of wiping out the firstborn to the point where Pharaoh's like, I can't handle it anymore. Go. Get out of here. Leave this nation. Leave this people. You're free to go. And sure enough, God takes them, they plunder Egypt, they leave, and they are headed to a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord, as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, is leading them to the promised land. That's his track record here that the psalmist was reflecting on. God did that. He brought us out. It was amazing. But then the psalmist doesn't stop there. He goes, but God brought us to an anxious moment as well. And we got stopped short, and it, and it was troubling. Do you remember? God bringing them right up to the Red Sea. I mean, they're thinking they're on the road to freedom, liberation, joy, life. And as they're marching out, they march right up to the ocean, and there it is—the Red Sea right in front of them. And like, oh, this is hard to cross. Our engineers haven't built the bridges yet. Like, we're we're not there. And Pharaoh back in Egypt is like, what did I just do? I lost my entire labor force. That was a dummy idea. And so he calls out the armies, sends them out, and he's like, go get the people back. We're not having this at all. There's Israel in the middle. The sea in front of them that they can't cross. A threatening army, ready to devour and destroy them at their back, nowhere to go. Friends, I don't know about you, but that's anxiety, right? (laughs) That's a troubling... I'd lay awake at night thinking about that. Where was God? Here's God's track record. Verses 16 through 20, lay it out. When the waters saw you, O oh God, they, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, the lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook, and your way, O oh God, was through the sea. Your path for us through the great waters. Your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He just appeals to God's character. He, he, he remembers that God's strong, mighty right arm is for them, and he proved that in parting the Red Sea and leading them through, taking them by the hand, Moses and Aaron, his mediators, just leading them like a shepherd. His people are his flock, and he loves us, and he cares for us, God did not abandon his people. He did not forsake his loving kindness. He showed his power and his might right there in the midst of their greatest trouble and worry and anxiety. That, friends, is the character of God, of a faithful father and a loving shepherd. That's his track record. He takes his people by the hand and leads them to safety in their deepest anxiety and worry. And the psalmist says, that's what I'm reflecting on. And we can go, that's great, that's our history too, but I would point us to one greater moment, greater moment of anxiety for us, but where God showed his great, mighty, strong right arm on our behalf to give us an appeal, to put our feet on solid ground. And that moment was the Hill of Calvary, when Jesus Christ, at the moment of our greatest anxiety and despair, led us away from death and destruction into security and safety in his salvation. Jesus became anxious for us. He took our anxieties upon himself, and he went to the cross. He went to face our greatest enemy, and he defeated him, suffering and dying in our place. He, the good shepherd, laid down his life for his sheep. He came and stood as a substitute for us, showing his might against the world, the flesh, the devil, and enduring the own, his own anxiety of soul in the greatest degree, for you and for me. We have a better Moses. We have a greater Aaron. We have the Son of God, the Good Shepherd, who comes and He takes His people by the hand and leads us, leads us out of our own anxiety. So what do we do? We appeal In our anxious hearts, we appeal to the cross of Jesus Christ. You and I, friends, we have to get our eyes on the greatest work of God to rescue us and secure our future. That is Jesus Christ crucified and risen on our behalf. If you're anxious about the things of this life, anxious about your future, anxious about your relationships, anxious about your well-being, anxious about anything, friend, appeal to the cross of Christ Look to Jesus, to his character, his steady right hand, his heart for you. And you can say, I know that God is for me, that he is full of love. He is full of compassion towards me, that he has nothing but my ultimate good at heart because Jesus came and lived for me and died for me. The evidence is there at the cross. To answer our anxious hearts, we have to acknowledge our anxiety to the Lord Let's ask good questions about God's character and His nature, and let's allow and ask the Holy Spirit to put our feet on the solid ground of Calvary, on the cross of Jesus Christ and Jesus and who He is, and let Him reorder our hearts. Let Him deal with our anxiety. Let Him give us His Spirit to take care of the burdens and troubles.